So it's taken 163 episodes for us to reach the lofty heights of me being able to actually speak to someone who is a drone photographer. And to be honest with you, before I started the podcast, I wasn't really sure what an aerial artist or a drone photographer was um, in the sense that I would have assumed as a wedding photographer, it'd be very similar to what I see of drone photography in the UK, which is just people trying to decapitate brides, grooms and photographers with a drone without paying much attention to what they're doing. Uh, I was put on to the wonderful work of the gentleman that we're about to speak to, and now I'm considering buying a drone if it wasn't for the fact that I live in a country that has terrible weather and is ugly from all angles. So before we talk about all of the different angles of your wonderful work, let's start off with why did you pick up a camera for the first time? What made you take an interest in photography? Yes, thank you for that colourful intro. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I... Originally wasn't, you know, a drone photographer. I, I picked up, um, you know, my mother's camera who I think I was around oh, 16, kind of end of high school. And she had a DSLR and I started taking photos and it wasn't really anything that I thought too much about at the time. Uh, you know, just landscape shots, you know, played around with some street photography and then I kind of put it down and forgot about it and continued with life and, you know, went to uni, traveled a bit. Um, but it wasn't really until, um, you know, the release of drones that I, I kind of, it piqued my interest again. And I think that came about because I, you know, I was a bit of a techno, techno nerd. Um, so I bought the first um, Mavic drone, which is the, you know, the, the probably the best prosumer drone you can buy um, that doesn't break the bank. Right. And I set off, I, you know, I set off on, you know, on, on some travels and took some photos, um, you know, and, they, and I think that was a time where it was, uh, you know, drone photography was still kind of coming of age. People weren't, uh, it was still more landscape based. People weren't really trying to push into the artistic side of what can be done. And so I was taking photos of, you know, beaches, whales, um, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, it's now kind of definitely more progressed into the more artistic side, um, which is probably what you see today. Well, first off, as, a, as an Englishman, that the most exotic animal I see on a daily basis is two pigeons trying to have sex on my balcony. The fact that you said, oh, I just took pictures of whales is beyond infuriating, but I'll let that one pass. Let's that, talk about the transition then from, like you said, what I guess a lot of people would see is the, the standard, what people do with drones photography into the direction mm. that you've gone into with, with what is, I mean, I, it's even hard to break down to be completely honest, but what was it that made you go beyond what the standard thing is for people with drones? Uh, I, I, in a simply way, I, I was just being, I was just got bored of, of, you know, the same kind of compositions that I was seeing. And, you know, there was so much vast array um, with handheld cameras in terms of artistic forms, you know, using so many design techniques um, but they weren't being applied to aerial or very little. I mean, they're, they're, they're there are some really, um, you know, kind of back when I started, uh, you know, I took influence from especially one area photographer. His name is Costas um, Spathis. Um, and, you know, he worked really heavily on, you know, um, you know, negative space and really minimal photography. And that was this, the first instance that I was like, hmm, you know, that there's, there's a whole other side that, um, you know, it can be, uh, you know, looked at in terms of aerial. And then I started to break down, you know, into different um, subject matter. And, you know, sports was one I started with um, that really was kicked it off. And just the body movements and what they would look like from above. And then I started to apply that same thinking with a lot of different subject matter, with everything from above. And it just became, well, there's so much to to do and see um and that was the transition well something that i found after i first started to take photography seriously i picked up a 135 mil lens I, I was shooting primarily portraits at that point and it didn't come off my camera for about 18 months 
And I, I learned to kind mm. of, I, I started to see, and I still can see in that focal length, I can see exactly what I'm going to get based on my distance from the subject, what I'm going to get in terms of framing, what I'm going to get in terms of subject isolation and so on. You start to almost, it's almost like the lens is attached to your eyes as opposed to the camera. I, I mm. guess the big problem with something like drone photography for people that are new to it is it's really hard to understand seeing from that perspective because we just, we just don't. We, at any point, you just don't naturally see from that perspective. So was it a trial and error thing? Because, I mean, the main thing that really jumps out to me about your work, genuinely speaking, is I'm kind of baffled at how you plan compositions and how you learn to compose other than just through trial and error, which I feel like would be a really lengthy process. But like, again, if you enjoy the process, I don't think that's a problem. What, what was the... What was the process of learning to see from that perspective? Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I think I went back to the roots. Um, you know, in, in when I started, my one of my first jobs was a, a, um, a product designer. And I think those kind of rudimentary design principles, um, I started to utilize in my photographic work. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was trial by trial and error. And, and, you know, that's, you know, many of the compositions, I, I, more that stood out to me was the more repetitive forms that I found. And that, you know, I think as humans, we're all, we're, we're quite drawn to these, you know, types of symmetry and, and repetition, you know, I feel like there's a sense of home there. And so once I kind of cottoned onto that and, you know, I was getting really good feedback around my imagery, um, that's when I started to, to, to dive deeper into it, you know? Um, so yeah, that, I, I suppose that is, you know, how, and, 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 and what you say is totally correct throughout, you start to see as your lens would, um, and I, I, I now start to, you know, start drawing these concepts just on my phone, you know, just on the, on my notepad. Um, because ultimately it, it is like drawing stick figures and uh, trying to figure out where they look best and, right. you know, what kind of motions would look the best, what kind of shapes, you know, a lot of my stuff is quite geometric. Um, so yeah, you're right. That totally, you, you start to um, you know, think about your compositions before you even execute them. I think it's, it's pareidolia where like the humans are always looking for repeating patterns or looking to solve what mm. they think is a, a repeating pattern. And it's definitely a, a, I mean, I think portrait photographers have been living off the back of that for, for a century, because if you take a picture of someone's face, humans are just naturally interested in it even if it's not a particularly good picture. I think a lot of us get away with it uh, based on that. If, if I could just ask, like, the potential issues that you can run into when it comes to, you know, you go out with, with the intention to take images, and, and I'm, I'm honestly just trying to learn about how you problem solve, what problems can come up with this, because one thing with your images, they're incredibly clean. And I live in a country that's not... So I imagine it might be down to just my surroundings where I'm just fascinated by anywhere that's like neat <laughs> and tidy and geometrically sound and well-designed and colorful and that there's actually a sun. But what, what problems can you run into with, with aerial photography in terms of the frame, the composition, maybe things just not lining up? What's, what's, the, what's the, bad, the bad things that you have to deal with? Uh, yeah, so I mean... Um, in terms of, you know, location scouting, I am very specific in where I want to actually, you know, photograph and they'll often be very clean, um, um, you know, you know, um, types of places. Um, but also there's the whole, uh, post-production, um, of my work as well. And I, and I, I, you know, composite quite heavily. And I think that's the biggest part to making, um, my images as, as clean as what they are. Um, you know, I would love to say they're all natural, but uh, at some points they aren't. And that's my own frustration in finding, in finding places that are purely, um, right for what I want to take. Um, however, there's one series that I have called Utopia and it was just like the perfect, perfect amount of perfection. Um, there were, there were dunes, um, you know, sand dunes mm -hmm. just north of Sydney. And, 
the, the night before it rained perfectly. And so the morning we woke up to go shoot, the sand was just absolutely flat and it was just a wonder to shoot on. And so you, you kind of take moments of luck as well. Um, but ultimately, yeah, th there is a huge cropping element to it with, with my work. And, you know, I'll often use one quarter, one third of my frame um, just to really narrow down and remove anything excess that I just feel is detracting from the frame. Um, and I think that's been a strength um, with my imagery. Well, it's, it's similar to something that we do within within weddings, which is you kind of, me and my wife refer to it as corner pinning, which is not really the correct term for it technically, but when I guess when you're married to someone, you can use the wrong terms and no one's the wiser. But essentially, it's like you're picking out a small section of a scene and by including things that would run off the edge and go beyond the frame, you give a sense of a bigger frame without having to include all of the messy elements that probably don't help too much with the composition. I get the sense of like a, a bigger scene with every one of your images. Like you've picked out a really wonderful, clean area. And by by being specific, my imagination fills in a lot of extra information on the edges of the frame in, in a really good way. Is that is that intentional? Uh, totally not. Um, but I'm glad you think that. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I... There's I, lots of imagination. I, I'm happy for that. Um, but no, I, I generally am focused within the frame um, and will be that way. Um, and I, before I even start editing, you know, start even looking and start touching an image, it's the crop tool. It, you know, it, it honestly is the crop tool. Um, you know, and I take, you know, sometimes, you know, 30 minutes just kind of playing diagonal, um, different crops, one-on-one, -on -one, like just finding what is the perfect, where do I want the subject? Is it, you know, do I want some leading line through it? Do I, you know, all these things that I'm kind of, you know, tossing up in my brain where to start. Um, so yeah, the frame is probably, you know, the, the thing I concentrate on the, 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 you know, the most. Well, talking about the frame, I've noticed that not all, but a lot of, a lot of the images I've seen, uh, feel a lot closer to square format or are like one-to-one -one aspect. Mm. And is that to play into the symmetry of the image as much as, because I find, I find square aspect ratio to be a, a nightmare for my brain to compose in. And it's purely down to my mental deficiencies. But with you, it feels like it's as big a part as the subject in terms of the aspect ratio that you're, you're cropping in. Yeah, uh, totally. I think I've now gone to one uh, square um, more heavily around, you know, 50 to 60% of my images are now square. And I think that gives me just that symmetry aspect that I, what I need to aim for. Um, so yeah, but yeah, something, yeah, I would say around that kind of thinking that um, square is just as important as any, any other for me. I mean, you say, you say symmetry, but to be honest with you, and I'm, I'm not going to criticize you on your own work because you obviously know it's significantly better than me, but my favorite images of yours are actually kind of the ones that fight the symmetry and are, are asymmetrical. There's especially some, mm -hmm. some pool images that are asymmetrical. That I, it's the juxtaposition of certain elements really just makes the image sing to me. One thing I find with my own photography is I get drawn to particular elements that make me think a photo is, and I'm probably just shitting on my own work here, but that it makes me get drawn to elements that maybe don't make for the best photo, but that I personally like seeing in other people's photos, or I've become drawn to with images of mine that have previously worked. And um, I have to almost train myself out of uh, repeating potential yeah. errors, things like that. With your work, are you drawn specifically to the symmetry and you have to kind of train yourself away from? being too excited by the symmetry to be able to see whether or not the image is going to work? Uh, I think I start with somewhere in symmetry and then I kind of work with different, you know, I, yeah, there is, there is a, and also a love with asymmetry. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm totally, you know, um, bought in on the symmetry aspect. I think it's very important, but I don't, I have many images that are asymmetrical. Um, but I, I feel that, I also cannot, is something in me that cannot, um, you know, replicate 
an image even in a similar context. So in a in construct. Um, so yeah, it's a good question. I really haven't thought about too much. I, you know, I don't, I don't analyze as I'm working at all. Um, and that voice doesn't speak to me too heavily, uh, as I'm editing. Um, but yeah, it's good to know. Good. It's, it's, it's nice to hear these, uh, these little pickups, um, from people that view my imagery that I wouldn't think about. <laughs> well, I think my problem is just, I'm, I'm psychotic and I overanalyze everything to a degree where I think I haven't slept. Mm. I don't think I've slept since about 2007. So, um, that probably explain a lot <laughs> when you're introducing, like you've got synchronized swimmers, you've got tennis players, you've got ballerinas, you've got, uh, I, I would, I would guess you would describe them as tourists. If you're doing like hotel images, maybe tourist plants, whatever, um, swimmers and so on. When you're introducing a human element, how much does that complicate or, or help what it is that you're trying to achieve? Because obviously a human element, you, you can direct it and in a way that can be kind of a mixed bag because sometimes that can be a nightmare and sometimes that can make everything work a lot easier. I think with the you know, with the, um, you know, the sports stars and the ballerinas, um, that was a challenge to work in because they, you know, they've got their own domain and they know what looks good, um, in their domain. Um, but from the air, it was totally different. Right. So there was a point of collaboration around, you know, this is what I know that looks good. These type of positions, let's try to find a balance of where that looks, um, you know, a good example was um, the, I suppose, the ice skaters and the ballerinas. Um, you know, ultimately, which you know, looking down, straight down, um, you know, doesn't really provide that much without, you know, a shadow um, or without these kind of other elements that provide, um, you know, a little bit more excitement to the image. Um, but th- that that's kind of the sports star and the and the you know the, the ballerinas of the world. But then there's also kind of just working with you know, just set models on, on a more conceptual level. Um, and I think that's, that's very heavily directed by me. Um, and that's when I talk about, you know, you know, working through, you know, the, the as I say, the set design before, um, and that's, I suppose, the more compositional work of mine. Uh, so it's probably broken up into two, the, the two different types of people. Well, with, with your overall portfolio, and it's always for me, uh, because again, because of the psychopathy, I'm very concerned with an overall body of work as much as I am with individual images. And I know a lot of people get very hung up on they'll like one particular image by a photographer, and they'll you know they're, they're not be fussed if other things don't line up with that original image in some way. I like real stylistic consistency. I like to see a body of work as opposed to one image purely for my again just because of my own mental defects. With your work, the, the everything seems to line up. You know, the, the color work, the images, even when there are broadly different subjects, are tied together not just by the fact that they're aerial shots, but you can tell that the sense of style and, and the mood, everything is carried through everything. You say you, you're not um, thinking about or analyzing these things as you go through the shooting or editing phase, but maybe I'm I'm just completely insane, but I'm really reading from your work that there is a a real attention to detail in making a style, making a bigger body of work than just the image you're taking at the time. Yeah. All right. Let, let, me, let me rephrase. I'm not overanalyzing as I'm doing it. Um, but yes, I am, you know, I am very, um, you know, focused on attention to detail within its own series. And I've only started to do series based work in the last 12 months. Um, because I wanted to challenge myself to, to make works in a series, um, because I found that very hard to start in from an aerial perspective. And I'd saw, um, other photographers, other aerial photographers, um, you know, do, um, you know, like more landscape work from, you know, helicopters and they were series. Um, but I really wanted to, to do it for myself and, I don't try to, I suppose, yeah, I mean, I have a, 
you know, I, I, I would say that I, do, I, I would say that nearly every toga has a certain style uh, about their work, um, but I don't try and mesh the styles between each um, each series. Well, I'm looking at your your images of. I'm going to embarrass myself and say it looks like Sydney Opera House, but when you're seeing something from above, it's really hard to to. Not. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it I, is. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, I feel fine now. I don't feel as stupid as as I was worrying I was going to. I mean, they're very abstract. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's, but, yeah, it's, but it's, for yeah. me, it's, as architectural photography, it's it's much improved on I think seeing something from the perspective that we all see it from anyway. Which, which is something mm. that really jumps out to me. Regardless, I, anytime you're showing something people are seeing on a daily basis, regardless of if you actually get to see the Sydney Opera House on a daily basis, we've all seen it. And when you get to see it from a different perspective, that's, that's what is going to hold people's interest, especially in a day and age when people have absolutely no attention span. But the thing that jumps out to me is light. And it's usually the most forgotten element of photography, I feel like, with people that are, are getting into it or people that have been doing it for a while and are not seeing much much progress, that they kind of lose sight of the importance of focusing on light. Is there a particular time of day that, that really works well? I mean, I notice with these Sydney ones, it feels like we're going for a bit of an evening time because there's a pretty decent fall off one side to the other. There's shots of people in the pool which really feel like they were shot at midday because of the complete lack of shadows. There's images of ballerinas with what feels like very, very low uh, to the ground light, which is casting really long shadows. I mean, is it just a case that you can just shoot in anything because because of your position? Uh, I wouldn't agree to that. I think I do think about light quite heavily. I the shadow, I, you know, I have a lot of my work does use shadow play. Um, so you know, I use a tool um, depending on the series and what 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 style i'm looking for uh, you know i use that um that 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 very um nerdy tool uh, i think it, i don't know what it's called called calc sun or whatever it is and right. you can put in the you know the time of day and it will show you the shadow length um right. and that's that's something i use for say something like the ballerina where i i knew i wanted that shadow or i definitely you know something like that so i you know i shot later in the day or in the morning, whatever it was. Right. Um, but, um, I would say mostly now it's more towards, you know, the middle of the day, um, especially the synchro swimmers cause I didn't want any shadows. Um, but that was more the constraints of the pool and I had other things around it. So I, um, but the opera house concept, I hadn't really seen that more dark side. Um, you know, one of the images called, you know, the dark side of the sail. Um, obviously, um, inspired by a very famous album. So I wanted to, you know, just explore what that would look like. So that was very early in the morning. Um, you know, when the, you know, it had, a, you know, the one side was you know heavily lit and the other side was nice and dark. So, um, yeah, no, yeah, definitely light is definitely, um, something I consider, um, but more less now than it was at the start, I think as, you know, amateur photographer, you're trying to think about all the, all the different things, um, you know, light, what time of the day I'm going to shoot. And, and I think now I'm less focused on that and more focused on, you know, actual compositional, um, elements. If I can continue to play the idiot on this back in, I think it was 2019 in England, we had huge issues with, uh, people flying drones over airports and literally shutting down the airports yeah. for a substantial period of time. There were threats of it being, you know, as bad as being treason and, and people wanted these people hung and, and whatever, because I guess you delayed people's three hour flight to Marbella so they can go and drink until they forget they have a family or whatever. What are the restrictions, I guess in Australia and just generally in terms of like legal stuff that you can and can't do with a drone. And then, on top of that, what about yourself? What are you are you careful to do or not to do as as a drone pilot? Yeah, uh, common question uh, with drones. So, um, trying to answer this the best way I can. Um, in different settings, uh, there's different rules. So, of course, um, you know the whole airport uh, is a no go zone. Um, you know, as as uh, drone photographers on our you know, on our app, on our, you know, um, 
in our remotes, mm-hmm. you know, there's blocked off, um, uh, you know, sections on the map. So even if, uh, you know, you wanted to fly into a zone, the, it, the drone would just stop and not go in there. Um, so, you know, that, that has been, you know, um, dealt with. I mean, people still can fly in with their FPVs that aren't kind of, you know, regulated, and that's still a problem. But it's not in that's not in my, you know, realm. Um, and then there's, you know, um, you know, a common criticism of my pool work is is that well, you know, isn't is isn't that you know taking pictures of pools that close illegal? And really the you know the law is very like it's it's very clear cut on this and um the the image the the ruling is no different to taking um you know an image on the street of a house and it's still legal um you can't take uh, a picture of uh you know a, a, a person on that private property um but you could take an image of the house or, or whatever and the same applies to the airspace um so I think there obviously is some confusion around that. Um, and then when it comes to, um, you know, uh, other rules, regions are, di- are very different around the world. So, you know, in the U.S., you know, you've got the whole national parks thing. Um, you know, they're very strict. Um, but here it's not too bad that the regulating body isn't that, you know, you know, on top of um you know, aerial photographers. So I haven't had any issues, um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's ever evolving. So again, I'm, this is one of the great things about doing a podcast is that I get to enjoy someone's work and then just see how horrendous my perception of that person is away from the reality of what their life is actually like. And I build up these ridiculous ideals of they must be like this or they must think like that or this must be the way that they go about things. And I get to learn how completely clueless I am about everything. Going back to your your process of shooting, I get the impression it's mm-hmm. not something you can do particularly casually. And again, I think that's just down to the, the cleanness of the images. And, and if one thing I really like about photography is that it really does show intent. And there's a lot of photographers that you can tell from images, and I have images in my portfolio that are like this, where you can see things were a little bit chaos theory compared to being very well planned out. With your images, I get this constant sense of planning and and intent and almost a clinicalness with the way that you go about producing the image. I get the feeling with drones, you can't really kind of like go out like I could with my camera right now and just wander around and take pictures. You couldn't just go out with a drone and just go around taking pictures purely because you'd need to you'd need to have some idea of what you're looking down on and be able to plan that in some respect. Am I completely off base on that? Uh no, not not no, I wouldn't say you're totally off. I mean, some image yeah, I mean most of my images are now are very well planned, but there's some in my catalog, um, you know, more recently that, um, you know, were taken, um, at a huge pool, um, with, you know, just on a day out in summer. Um, but you know, even, even the way I've composited them are quite methodical. Um, but I would say a lot of the planned shoots, they're the ones that, you know, you can't go out. Like it takes preparation, right? You got to get the model. Um, you, you know, you got to find the props, find the, the place you want to shoot, get the, get the necessary ticks, um, for, for shooting with a drone, um, and all of those things. So, and that's why I shoot in now series base because, you know, you can get 15 to 20 images out of one shoot. Um, you know, for me, it, that that's a lot easier than doing multiple shoots over multiple days without really any intent. And then you've mentioned models there again, going back to the human element. How strict are you in in your direction with these with these individuals that are in your images? Because obviously, like with the ballerina, where you're casting a shadow, that's got to be really specific, I'd imagine, for that to work out correctly. And also, you're relying on their their ability as a ballerina to be able to convey what you're giving them. The synchronized swimmers, I can't even get my head around how you deal with that many people that are that skilled, and then. You're coming at it from, I mean, this is just maths that my brain can't handle. 
Um, but what's what's the directing like, and how do you actually direct? Considering you obviously don't want to appear in the image and be too close, are you just yelling at them from from just off frame? Yeah, you, I think yeah, the the, the model, um, you know, the more um, I would say confident the model is in their own ability, the better. Um, I think you know, I. I, it is hard. It is hard. You're looking down at a cat, looking down at a screen and trying to control a drone and trying to, you know, direct. Um, but I feel that the first 15 to 20 minutes of, of finding yourself, especially if the model, you know, as I said, you know, is, you know, a ballerina or they have their own, you know, area of expertise, um, then it's working out that balance. Um, and then, you know, you start showing them what things look like. And, you know, uh, you know, with the, with the ballerina, you know, starting to show, you know, what that shadow looked like. And then, you know, you show the excitement on her face and then she was like, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? And then, you know, it's that collaboration, um, you know, to get the best out of, of, you know, the, the, you know, the time we're together. So that, that, that's ballerina. And then the synchronized swimmers, um, yeah, there was eight, eight swimmers. Um, so already just like a total, yeah, it, it, it was really hard. Um, but it made it a lot easier with, um, there was a choreographer there that, um, was the team, you know, coach. And so she, I was working with her, she was next to me and she had the loudspeaker and she was directing the, the, the swimmers into the different positions. Right. And so yeah, I was more liaising with her rather than, you know, choreographing the swimmers. So let's talk about this as a, I don't want to say as a product, but let's talk about your work commercially. There's got to be a huge market for this because it's, it's wonderfully commercial. It's artistic. It's incredibly well carried out. It's clean. It's, you must have, you know, constant people knocking at your door or sending you emails for, for images or for you to come in and do work like this is, is, is commercializing this what you want to do or is that something that you do or is it something you want to avoid? Um, I've, you know, I've tried to push down that track into, you know, doing more commercial work. Um, it really hasn't been fruitful for me, but uh, I'm really trying to push more the artistic side um, you know, selling, you know, getting into galleries and, and, you know, to art fairs. And I think that's where I want to be. I'm still trying to work it out. I'm still very young in this process. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one issue I do have to take up with you actually, as, as someone, I'm only 33 and as a photographer, especially in England, I feel very young and I do get quite irritated whenever I like someone's work and they (laughs) happen to be younger than me. It feels like a personal attack. So I think we should just get that. You're, are you 28? Yeah, 28, yeah. That's absolutely disgraceful. Like, how dare you? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like there has to be a market for this. I mean, you, you're plenty published, correct? I know BBC, CNN, I think Washington Post. Uh, I mean, how does that come about? Are, are, you, are, you, are you approaching them or are they approaching you? Yeah, no, I, I, approach, I approach publications with nearly every series I do. And I do that based on some advice I got a few years ago from, you know, uh, a mentor now, um, who's well, you know, he's in the gallery spaces, um, and, you know, he, he does this for a living now. So he, that was after, you know, that, you know, I, we were, everyone was fighting for, you know, um, you know, Instagram, um, you know, coverage and, you know, um, reach and exposure. And, you know, it was by the time, you know, three years ago, and if you're on Instagram 10 years ago, like that was the perfect opportunity for, for growth. But, you know, I, you know, a lot of people can get quite frustrated Instagram. Um, I'm of the opposite opinion that Instagram doesn't really owe me anything. Um, right. I treat Instagram as a, as a portfolio. Um, if it's great, if an image gets more reach than others, but, you know, I try to, you know, uh, outreach my work to different publications that can uh, reach new viewers um, because that, that ultimately was the aim. Uh, and it's been you know, quite successful, um, you know, in the process. I mean, my favorite image outright is there's one called fall, which is a pool with some leaves in it. And I just, 
the 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 symmetry of the frame mixed with the asymmetry of not only the leaves but the shadow and everything. I just think is 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 just an absolutely awesome awesome setup, and it's just an image that, like you know, twenty thirty years ago, I just don't think anyone would have taken purely, or maybe I'm just being completely ignorant, but I don't think anyone would have taken because if you're going to go to the expense of getting yourself up in the air to take a picture. I feel mm, like that's that, true, yeah. you're only going to go for like really grandiose stuff and maybe shy, like the landscape stuff that you were, you were talking about at the beginning. Do you do photography away from, away from with the drone or are you now just a complete drone person? No, I, I don't do anything um, that doesn't have a propeller. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I just, uh, I'm looking at like your print section and there's just there's something to this. I don't I don't I'm I'm the worst landscape photographer on the face of the earth, the worst by a country mile. I've been to the most beautiful places and I always come back with photos that look like a mum's taken it with with their phone. Like it's just never good. Mm. Are you I mean you're in Australia so you don't really have the right to want to go anywhere else because you don't live in England where you're just miserable 24/7, but is there anywhere that you're you're really desperate to to go and 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 ply your craft? Because I do you know what I really do see. I see if I was a billionaire, I'd I'd pay you a bit of money and just drop you in an Arab in an in an Arabic country because the architecture there, the mm. light. I feel like you mm. would get so much from that. Is there anywhere that you're really mm. itching to get to? Uh, yeah, multiple places for different series. Um, I think you you brought up a good one of uh, the UAE. Um, I've always wanted to do the the Louvre there. Um, mm-hmm. I have a concept in mind that I'm itching to do. Um, in the same kind of realm is the the art and science. Is it art and science? Um, I think it's the art and science um, oh, building or um, uh, what do they call it. Um, it's in um, Valencia. I think you know the one I'm, I'm talking right. about. Well, yeah. if you if you're an you know, architecture buff, I think you'd know it. Um, also, another concept there that I you know that I've always envisioned what doing. Um, so you know that, that that's that kind of architecture type. Um, and there's also you know I, I, my pools work. Um, you know I'm looking to do a book very soon, and I want to get to. Uh, you know, Palm Springs and, you know, Mexico City and these, oh, no, Mexico, parts of Mexico, not so much Mexico City, but parts, parts of the, you know, of, of Mexico that are just beautiful for their pools, you know, tessellated tiles and stuff I haven't got yet in my pool series. Um, so multiple, yeah, there's multiple places I want to go to. And it's funny, all of this, you know, pools, um, you know, all of this series started actually, you know, as we locked down and I haven't really been really able to go and t- take pools that really aren't, you know, in the Southern hemisphere. Do you feel like the, um, the lockdown and the, the bullshit of the last 15, 16 months, do you feel like that's helped you focus on getting the most out of what you can work with because you can't get out and, and go to all of these different places? Do you think that's made you kind of focus in on your craft a little bit more as opposed to being location focused yeah i think um that's that's a yeah that's a that's yeah it's definitely uh, something that i think has contributed uh, but i also think um you know i try and create my own constraints um to my photography and if you create these constraints um and and for me for example only shooting with a propeller for example you can really start to test yourself. And I think the more variables you have as any creator, um, the more likely you are to really, you know, start to, um, you know, go off balance or try and, you know, um, be less focused. And that is, that is like a, you know, uh, a rule I apply to myself um, that I, I set these really harsh constraints on myself um, to push myself. And whether or not COVID has done that implicitly or not, uh, but it's something that has helped me um, create. Well, something I can guarantee 100% is that there's going to be at least a couple of individuals that listen to this that are going to be going straight over, looking at your work, and then 
probably have a similar feeling to me in the sense of wanting to go and pick up a drone themselves and, and in my case, fail miserably attempting to do any of this. For people that, that see your work and are naturally going to be inspired by it and want to get into drone photography, do you have any advice for people that are picking it up for the first time? Uh, yeah, do the demo to start so you don't crash like I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but really, you, you are bound to crash, so just, just take that in mind. Um, uh, advice for drone photographers. Um, uh, um, yeah, I... You know, I I think I see a lot of the same in the in the in the aerial space, um, and I would love to see definitely more artistic expressions of drone photography. Uh, and that's something that I think there's just a huge market for. Um, and so I think, you know, my advice would be to you know to to really just put put that thing above anything. Um, that you might think could be at least somewhat interesting. Um, and it's so much trial and error um, in, into getting it. And, you know, just whatever kind of concepts that you have as a regular, like as a handheld photographer, you know, apply what that would look like from above. And that's honestly what I do most of the time. Um, so I think, you know, that's more of an artistic, what would you do as a, you know, to picking up a drone. Um but I mean the, the standard stuff of you know making sure you know the rules and and all, and all of those things is also you know uh, always important and you know I always know that you you are going to piss people off um, yeah. like drones just have that in you know inherent um, effect on people um, it's unfortunate because it's always an uphill battle for me to pitch. Um, my work to to do things like for example if i wanted to do the louvre i know that would be more an uphill battle than it would be to for a, a, a regular photographer um but that it just comes with it. it it's people's perception it's just that word drone has a negative context in some way um which i really want to try and get away from well i think it's cameras as i mean obviously drones has a whole extra element of there's a bit of noise and it's above and i think like I think maybe most people are just scared of anything that comes from the sky that they can't control. Um, but I think cameras generally are an antisocial thing. And it's it's something I've always been kind of fascinated by. Is uh, And this is, I, it might just be an English thing. It might just be a photography thing. It might be a male thing. I don't know. But there's a lot of people that buy cameras as a social crutch, as a as a way to meet people, as a way to make friends, as a way to kind of... Um, just as as a social tool and it's really it's an ironic thing because the camera is an anti-social tool i remember being followed uh on a beach and we have beaches in england although they are painful um i was photographing a sunset where i used to live on the beach in england and this guy with his kid followed me now i'm shooting out at the ocean and he followed me like all the way down the beach onto a pier and I was like, this is really bizarre. This guy's just not going away. And I'm just taking pictures out of the ocean. And as I'm packing my stuff away, the guy walks over and approaches me and he says, it's disgusting what you do. And I was, it's mm. like, I was like, what am I doing? Sorry. And he's like out with a camera taking pictures of kids. And I was like, what on earth are you talking about? And I'm, I'm like pulling my cat. Cause the second you hear that you panic, like he's got the mm. wrong end of what I'm doing. Or, and I'm showing him the back mm. of my camera. And I was like, mate, if you were that concerned, firstly, you're completely off your rocker. But if anyone wanted to take pictures of your kid, firstly, I don't think they're going to be worried about like ISO performance and megapixels. They're going to be pretending to text and doing it on their phone or something. They're not going to be as obvious as to like take a tripod out with them. And say, it's something about cameras that just attracts the worst in people. And yeah, that guy, I... Uh, he was he was a, a fun guy. He was definitely he was definitely an English guy when it comes to spending a day at the beach, just chasing someone down to try and be offended by them. Something I do a lot on the podcast, and something I do a lot when I'm just talking to photographers uh, on a personal level, is uh, about self evaluation. Um, it's always interesting to see how people see their own work. We've seen that in this podcast alone. The way that I've sort of seen your work is different from how you view it yourself. Um, if I was to to corner you on this one and say, what do you think you, your best quality as a photographer and maybe your worst quality would be? 
Yeah, uh, I would say my my best quality is probably my experimentation. I think that you know, um, I think just the, the ability to, to 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 try different things and see what works and that trial and error. Um, you know, uh, I suppose that that has been you know part of the success of of my work. I'd say my kind of you know drawback to that um, you know is um you know if i don't get the shot i want i will try and push it in post until i get it and ultimately i know it's not where i want and it just causes frustration so there's you know there's that that whole premise of pushing it um where it doesn't need to go um right. and not letting it be a natural process um so yeah i think that's that's probably my weakness was something I avoid at all costs with the podcast and, and definitely in day-to-day conversations when photography comes up um, is mm. talking about gear. I'm not a, a particularly big gear head. I think mostly because those of us that photograph on land, we seem to pick a, a brand with which to shoot and then spend the rest of time arguing with each other about why the one that we picked at random when we didn't know our ass from our elbow is better than everyone else's. And it's a completely futile thing. It's boring. It's like I always say to people, they're all made by the same kids at this point. So it really doesn't matter which brand you use or getting offended or getting brand loyal or anything like that. But what I do know for sure compared to any other podcast I've done is that I'm going to get messages from people. And I imagine you might, if I don't ask this question, uh, about what gear you use. Now, I know DJI bought Hasselblad, so I have a little bit of a an issue with DJI potentially ending what might be the, one of the most famous camera brands in the world, especially the one that went to the moon. Um, but I'm assuming you must be shooting DJI because I don't know of any other any other brands in the market. But for people that will be inevitably interested in what you use to do what you do, what's the gear? Yeah, I'm also not a gear gearhead, so um, you, you, we're speaking on the same terms. Um, I I see cameras as a tool just to to get what I want, um, and I don't really think much too much more about it. Um, so I use yes, I use the um, DJI um, Mavic Two, um, and so that's got the uh, the twenty megapixel uh, camera. I think it's got up to twelve stops. Um, um, else does it have i i'm not again i don't know the whole um you know the tech specs of it all um but it, you know as a what you really need to consider as a trophy or what what bugs me the most is the the battery's lifespan right um and you, you only get about well i get more because i don't fly around as much as others but i get about 25 minutes to 30 if you can really push it per battery um but if you're flying around, I think you only get about 20, kind of, you know, around 20 minutes. Um, and yeah, you know, the, probably the, I got the fastest memory card you can probably buy with money. Um, so um, what else? Um, yeah. Lightroom, Photoshop, um, that kind of that kind of jazz. If I, I, really could, if I could ask one stupid question, if I could ask one stupid question, yeah. you are, are you shooting in RAW? Yeah. I, okay. I just I know that's a really stupid question. I just have never flown a drone. I wasn't sure. Just so I, you know, it's an yeah. education for me. <laughs> this is basically a podcast just to educate my stupid ass. I mean, I think we've covered everything. It's it's. I, I find this fascinating. Um. We need to make sure the most important part of the podcast is that I push as many people as possible towards your work. Um, so mm-hmm. where's the best places for people to go and see the wonderful images that you create? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Brad's Canvas and you can find um, more information on my website at bradscanvas.com. That's the best place to find me. I would definitely recommend the website because um, I'm a website person. I know that a lot of people kind of focus solely on Instagram, but your website's lovely. Lots of big images to see and also the ability to see some of the the press clippings of what you've done and so on. So yeah, man, massive thanks for taking the time to do this. I apologize for my ignorance. Um, I really do appreciate it. 
Yeah, no, it's been it's been lovely hearing your love hate relationship with um, with Britain. It's it's, it's <laughs> where was the love? Where was the love? <laughs> I don't know. I gotta find it. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.